Well, I was already smoking cigarettes when I got there at age 13, but I got into weed in ninth grade, 14. I started, you know, do, dropping acid at 15. I did some other hallucinogenics about age 16, but all throughout, I'm just hitting the alcohol like crazy. Welcome to the premium sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. It's Testimony Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you listen to Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Thanks for supporting World Evangelism with your premium subscription and enjoy today's testimony. All right, here we are. This is it. Season five, Testimony Tuesday. You're back and we're back. And we are ready for another year of sermons on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Adam. We want to welcome you to this very special presentation. And for this first Testimony Tuesday of the year, we've got a very, very special treat for you. Uh, listen, somebody said, give the people what they want. So, hey, that's what we're doing. Um, we have had several requests to hear testimonies from the producers of this podcast. And so that's what these first two weeks of Testimony Tuesday are going to be this year. And we are excited to welcome our brother and fellow podcast producer, Mr. Dave Smale. Welcome to the program that you are so familiar with. We're glad that you're here. <laughs> yes, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> and we're excited to hear your testimony. And I have another very special treat for you, is that conducting this interview tonight is the one and only Mr. Rome Kovos. Welcome once again to the podcast, sir. Hey, hey, hola, como estas? Que paso, that, amigo? Yes, <laughs> Give me yes. chunga burrito, that's about all I know. Yep, yep, same here. <laughs> <laughs> Just got done eating some tacos tonight, too. <laughs> taco Thursday, it was Taco Thursday. Come on, taco is same every here. day. Yeah, amen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> privileged, I am privileged, humbled, excited, love this podcast, so yes, sir, we up in here. Well, mm -hmm. I'm uh, I'm grateful for your time that you're gonna you're gonna help us out with both of these interviews, uh, both with Dave and myself. And so I am gonna get myself out of the way. We're glad to welcome the audience in for another season of sermons and testimonies. And I'm gonna hand it over to you, Brother Rome, Pastor Kobos. And uh, and if I feel the need to pipe up, I, I will go ahead and do so. But uh, you're gonna take it away as you interview uh, Brother Dave Smale on his amazing testimony. Let's do it. Yes, sir. So, uh, Dave, this is awesome because I've known you as long as I've been going to the church in Newport News and just, you know, yeah. kind of, so to speak, growing up together in the faith. Sure. Um, you know, you have been uh, amazing just watching you and your family just be steadfast. I know you don't have a lot of opportunities where you just kind of speak your heart. So getting that out the way, you you and your wife have always been a role model type of figure to Rosie and I, and we appreciate it. So, wow. you know, thank you. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, I've heard you give your testimony. We we've done a lot of uh, music scenes together back and forth across the water. Sure. And uh, I'm sure you're going to say a lot of things that I haven't heard because that's the blessing about these testimony Tuesdays is you, you go more in depth. Sure. And so Dave, uh, 
yeah, we're excited about that. So, you know, first of all, tell us how, how have you been dealing before we get into your testimony? How have you been dealing with uh, putting all these together and, and feeding the people? Oh, well, you, you want, you want a little inside baseball, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, really I, all I do is, um, I just select the sermons that, you know, we, we sort of have a format that we follow, you know, Monday is, um, you know, we, we do like, like the testimony Tuesday, we do Wayman Wednesday. Uh, Monday is just a, a sermon classic from anywhere in the fellowship. So I have a lot to choose from. Um, uh, Thursday is Pastor Campbell. Friday is is probably our hardest one to uh, find because that is our um, uh, what do you call it the uh, the, uh, the next gen- next generation next generation. Yeah, I, I keep trying to. My brain wanted to say new generation. No, not new. Next. <laughs> um, uh, and then Saturday, you know, we do the um, the Sunday schools, and then Sunday we do one from our church. So I mean, so we have a a good format for me to follow. So I, you know, I, I, there's not too much thinking involved on my end. Um, the challenge comes with, um, uh, some of the older sermons, especially the quality of them, trying to clean them up and get them as, uh, as presentable as possible. Sometimes, you know, God bless the sound men ministry and you know mm-hmm. of, of various churches, you know, it sounds like they were inside of a Campbell soup can when they recorded, recorded the sermon, <laughs> you know, and, you, you, and it's like, man, this is such a good sermon, but you can't hear what they're saying. Like, oh man. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, but it's a, it's a joy. And I, um, uh, you know, try to just stay ahead of the curve by, uh, picking out sermons. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll go with sermons that, I've heard like I was there for this one. I remember this one, and you know, from a from a conference gone by, whether it be a a Chandler conference or a, maybe a rally somewhere or a revival yeah. that I happened to be at, and I I remember, man, that one sermon that that one pastor evangelist preached. You know, I'll I'll pull that one, and uh, and it, and somehow it never fails. Uh, our uh, sermon podcast group. Somebody will chime in and be like, "Man, that was a great one today." Like, yeah, you know, I remember when that was preached all the way back in nineteen and eighty-two. You know, but, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's um, a little sneak peek behind the behind the curtain of of uh, you know, mo- mostly it's uh, honestly mostly it's uh, sound editing and and trying to find next generation preachers. If you know a new preacher. Yeah, put the please plug in. Tell me, please tell us, and not just like, oh, hey, um, uh, I know this uh, guy, Pastor Pete. He's out in Houston. Oh, okay, that does not help us uh, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send I, a I, website. I need to, send some right. something. Give you something to yeah. work with. Right, a Facebook link, a YouTube page, something. You know, uh, the guy's first and last name, and the actual city he's in, not just, oh yeah, he's in New York. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I happen yeah. to know a pretty good preacher who's in Hampton, Virginia that we could probably use. Yeah. And I I believe we've we featured uh, Pastor Rome once already. So, you know, I want to give well, other people a try before I circle back and <laughs> That was that was very hey, I am humbled by that. 
but I will refer some more guys before y'all throw another one of mine on there. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Praise God. Well, Dave, um, that's really cool, man, because, uh, and we're going to get into this testimony, but, uh, I know it takes a lot of hard work. I, I did, uh, sound booth ministry for maybe a year and you guys brought it up about how important that was to even just jump on to the subscribing because you used to pay pay for those cds and uh we would make them and we have to you know like kind of mix it down so it was good quality people would listen to it and so it was hard work doing it on the spot so we appreciate it man and uh that's Thank you. just that's really cool that uh you guys are in this uh podcast business because right. it's just it, it helps man that's what people are into right now and so mm-hmm. uh it's a blessing man so dave uh like i said i've known you now over 10 years but um for those who may not mm-hmm. know you um you know let's get into your testimony how sure. you even came to christ what brought you to virginia uh (laughs) most people that live here in virginia are not from here that's true uh that's because it's a big military town you got the shipyard here Mm -hmm. uh there's a lot of work here but just give us your story how did you even get to virginia what before that what was your life like prior to virginia you know tell us how how it all came about to this point (laughs) we're at Right. I was going to say, uh, what brought you to Virginia? The Navy. The end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um, well, okay. I, I, I was born and raised in, um, in Southern California. I was born in Canoga Park, California, raised in Woodland Hills, California. It's a suburb of LA. Um, so born and raised there, lived there until I was, you know, uh, oh gosh, 20. And then, and then joined the Navy. But um, uh, grew up uh, in a uh, house full of musicians. So my my dad is a uh, w- my late father w- was uh, the piano player for the Lawrence Welk Show. <laughs> and for oh. those who have never heard that name, uh, you can YouTube it Lawrence Welk, and um, you will see a very old television show uh, with with uh, you know an orchestra and and old timey music and old people dancing you know it's like you know it's almost like the um uh if you ever saw like american bandstand or one of those old shows with people dancing to like disco music it's even older than that and and the people on the show dancing are older (laughs) so they're like you know they're like elderly people you know dancing to like you know (laughs) champagne music or whatever (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, but my but my dad was a uh, classically trained jazz piano player and in mm. my in my completely biased opinion best piano player ever to to live uh he could play anything he could read music he could play by ear uh, i mean he could he could compose music i remember watching him you know he would he would uh he would set the music sheets out on out on our table and he'd be writing um orchestra sections you know it would say strings and he would be writing oh, wow. handwriting music you know actual notes and uh treble and bass clefs and all that stuff he was he was a musical genius That's and what um, i was just thinking wow yeah he, he he knew all things music um uh 
I mean, he didn't know like contemporary pop culture stuff because he, I mean, you ask him about the Beatles or, or you know, music ended at the Beatles. Like after yeah. that, it was, nothing was good after that. But um, uh, so anyway, he was, a, um, he was the piano player on the Lawrence Welk show. My mother was a concert pianist also. That's how they met. Um, they, they actually met in Las Vegas. Um, he was in a, he was in a little jazz trio. <laughs> And she was, and she was a concert pianist uh, uh, on the side. And her normal job was a showgirl. Back before showgirls were like what they are now, like um, you know, they they had these big costumes and stuff, and they did like a big play and stuff. And so wow. she was a. My mom was a showgirl at the Sahara, and my dad was playing in a jazz trio at the Sahara in Las Vegas. And they kept bumping into each other at the piano backstage when they were trying to practice. And so that's how they met and, and, uh, sparks flew and they ended up getting married. So, um, so they moved to Los Angeles. He got a job with the Lawrence Welk orchestra and, um, and then, uh, they had my, my sister and then my brother, both of both of whom are, uh, 12 and 13 years older than I am. I'm the baby by a long shot. Oh, wow. Um, And so, uh, so yeah, I, I was born, um, in Woodland Hills, 1977. (laughs) So. The, the year Star Wars came out, just, just, you know. Just putting that out there. Yeah, just putting that out there. The, the, the year the legends were born. <laughs> um, wow. Anyway, uh, so grew up uh, listening to a lot of the stuff that my dad and my brother were into because um, they were musicians. Um, my, my brother's also a, a very talented musician, piano player. Um, I mean, he, he can kind of do everything too. He's like, uh, he can do drums. He can do guitar a little bit. Uh, my sister was a violinist, but she kind of got out of the music scene early. She didn't really, it wasn't really her thing. So she, she kind of bowed out of the music scene as a teenager. And so, uh, but I started piano lessons at age five, um, and continued until I was about 14, at which time I was like, yeah, dude, I want to join a rock band. (laughs) Enough of this. Because <laughs> the piano Beethoven. wasn't cool enough. <laughs> Nothing of this Beethoven stuff, you know. So, um, got started getting into bands with some of my close friends. Uh, and the thing was that I played by I could barely read music. To this day, I can barely read music, um, unlike my father. Um, but I played by ear, and to this day, that's wow. still what I do. So, um, did that was that something that uh, was like a pet peeve for your dad? Yes, because I yes. Could think, I, I would imagine because he was such a musical genius. Yeah, yeah, yes, it was. Um, he he uh, he actually counseled my brother and I to stay out of the music scene because he, he just for reference, my dad said when he was coming up in the music scene, you had to have a resume to join a band. Oh wow! <laughs> and he had one. He had it was it was short, you know, it was just like a half page long, but it listed all of his accomplishments. He was a music major in college, and and um, all the all the orchestras he he had written and composed for. I mean, it was incredible. Um, and he said, now uh, he said it used to be a game of who was the most qualified and talented to join the band. And he said now it's like who can display the least amount of talent. <laughs> and yeah. that's that's what sells now so he he told my brother and i not to even bother getting in the music business but we didn't listen so 
Um, <laughs> so I started getting into bands, you know, and rock and, and, uh, I started out in kind of like heavy metal kind of bands. I was into Metallica and Guns N' Roses and Slayer and all these, you know, hard, uh, bands, uh, at age, you know, 13, 14. And yeah. of course drove my dad up the wall. <laughs> We'd have band yeah. practices and he would just, he would just get in his car and leave. <laughs> wow. At your house, like in your garage. Yeah, in our living room or in our garage. Yeah, we'd set up our, you know, my my friend uh, would bring his drums over, my other friend would bring his guitar over, other friend would bring his bass over, and you know, I, I had a keyboard and a and a little amplifier, and I'd plug the mic into the amplifier, and I, you know, because we didn't have a singer, so then they were like, "Hey, Dave, uh, you can play by ear, right?" And I said, "Yeah, can you sing?" Like, yeah, I can try, and and so my mom actually, <laughs> she was like, you know. David, let me show you how to sing properly. I said, okay, you know, and, and it was like a scene out of, I don't know if you ever seen the movie sister act, but, but yeah. uh, there's a scene where, you know, the, the little uh, uh, hummingbird lady and Whoopi Goldberg walks up and just presses on her diaphragm. And she's like, ah! and right. she's like, there it is. There's the voice. And so that's what my mom did to me. And so, uh, and so, and so my mom kind of taught me how to sing and how to, you know, sing from the diaphragm. And then she was like, and, and you can already play by ear. So, you know, like they had already trained my ear as a kid in music. So I could, uh, so I could sing on key. I just didn't know how to sing. So once they, yeah. told, once my mom showed me breath control and diaphragm and all of that, uh, I was off to the races with these, in these bands. So, wow, uh, yeah. So 14 years old, my first band, we were called cranial abortion. Isn't that so pleasant? Wouldn't cranial you wouldn't, abortion? Wouldn't you just love for your daughter to date the singer of cranial abortion? So uh, anyway, um, we uh, uh, wow. by that time, um, yeah, by that time, were you I'm guys in, uh, like doing uh, talent shows or what? Like, no, uh, we um, we tried to get signed up in like Battle of the Bands kind of stuff, but it, it was uh, mostly. It wasn't what you knew. It was who you knew. You know what I'm saying? And we right. didn't know anybody. We we're just a bunch of snot nosed kids playing in our garage. So, um, so we would just ask, Hey, can we play at your party in your backyard? And people would say, yeah. And so we'd show up, we'd play one song and the cops would come bust up the party, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, that happened a couple of times. And then, and then this club, uh, in, in Canoga park, uh, right next to where I grew up, they would have like a Tuesday jam night and any band could sign up. If you called ahead of time and said, Hey, can I, can I get into your jam night? They would be like, sure. Uh, you'll be on at seven 30 PM and you get 30 minutes. And that, and, and so it was like, really? So, mm -hmm. so, uh, uh, the high school I went to was called Calabasas high school, which is Spanish for pumpkin. Um, and, uh, I went to pumpkin high school. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, um, one of the bands that that went to my high school is this band called Incubus, and they ended up being a, a very successful rock oh, yeah. band later later on. Yeah, so they they um so they signed up for this jam night the same night we did, and then one other band from our from our school signed up too. So when I got there that night, that place was absolutely packed out with like three hundred of my closest high school friends to see us play our first show. And it was also, if I'm not mistaken, it was also Incubus's first show in front of people. 
Um, and, and so we, you know, and we just, we just let loose and just crushed it, man. (laughs) And so, uh, Incubus was like this funk band, you know, and and we were like, (laughs) (laughs) so the next, the next day at school, we were getting all these like, dude, you guys killed Incubus, you know? (laughs) Wow, um, man. You have that in your history book. Yes. Yes. I, uh, yeah. Um, now the thing is that, um, uh, the, the lead singer of Incubus, um, n- one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And so there was no like tension, like, even though people tried to make it like that, Oh, guys, we're so much better. There was no tension between us at all. Like he was so super nice. And we were just like, Hey, you know, you, you got your style. We got our style. We're just glad that we could all play together, you know? And so, <laughs> so yeah, um, time went on. We, uh, we ended up playing uh, one uh, or a couple more shows. We played it at a place in, in Hollywood called the Roxy. It was kind of on the Sunset Strip. We got to play there once. Um, and that was really, that was really the peak of our, you know, we were 15, 16 or so. And that was kind of the peak of our, <laughs> of our band. And then we, you know, started moving, you know, family started moving and stuff. And so we, we had to break up. Um, I was in another, uh, punk rock band a little later on we had an even better name we were called uneducated (laughs) (laughs) the best part was our 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 name was purposefully misspelled so it was like yeah these guys really are uneducated (laughs) yeah so um so we uh same kind of thing we you know formed a band with a couple different members because some people had moved away and and uh started playing backyard parties and ended up playing a backyard party out in uh in a city called agora california which agora means wide open places <laughs> so if you're an agoraphobe you're afraid of wide open places anyway um wow <laughs> so we played this party in agora and um this other band called hoobastank was there and they ended up also becoming a successful rock band later on <laughs> so we had this knack of of like I don't know being king close makers to or something. The, yeah, exactly. Being close <laughs> to all the future superstars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, v- very interesting uh, uh, childhood, I guess you could say. But, um, but of course, with that, with that kind of musician lifestyle, came all of the stereotype. It came the partying, you know, the the um, the womanizing. Um, all of that was was mixed in yeah go ahead i would imagine that and um so i just want to back up a little bit because i know um you know pat one of uh pastor dragoon's famous questions and i appreciate him asking it when he's doing a testimony tuesday is during during all of this uh now you're you know because we're now we're in your high school days and the Mm -hmm. music and you have that music influence from your family but did your family have any spiritual uh influence or did they have like a uh you know a set of uh family values or was it a little right. bit of christianity or um well no we had almost no spiritual uh anything going on in our house my dad was in was my dad was an atheist but he wasn't like an outspoken atheist. Like he didn't go to conventions and be like, you, we all get together and don't believe in God together. You know, 
He wasn't like right. that. He just, he just, you know, he, he just did his job and, you know, did his leisure time, his golf and stuff. And, uh, and he, he, uh, never talked about God, never went to church. Um, my mom, uh, grew up with a semi-religious background, went to Catholic school, that kind of thing. And, you know, Christmas time, she'd, she'd, uh, bring out the nativity scene and, you know, she had like a, a crucifix hanging somewhere in the house. I think it was in the laundry room, you know, just uh, very, very little. I mean, so I kind of knew like the basic story of Jesus in the manger as a baby, but why he was crucified. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I mean, right. I knew that I knew that he was, he's on the crucifix. I didn't know. Couldn't tell you why that happened. <clears throat> they didn't like him apparently. Yeah. Well, I can you know? imagine that. Cause you know what? I went to church a lot as a kid and I still couldn't mm -hmm. tell you. Yeah. So I, I imagine being in that type of household, like you said, like, okay, it's just a thing that part of American culture, no big deal. Uh, right. You know, so, okay. So, so basically you probably never really went to church ever. Um, I, yeah, I think I went to, um, the big old Catholic church. Some, I think my mom took me to, you know, and she would drop me off in the Sunday school and I would just color <laughs> or whatever they, you know, activities. I couldn't, there was, I don't remember any lessons or any talk about Jesus. I remember them passing the uh, basket around and I had absolutely nothing to put in it. And I'd get mad at my mom. Mom, you keep passing this basket around. People are putting money in it. And she, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot to give you money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. um, but that, that, that was about, I mean, maybe three times total growing up that I saw the inside of a Sunday school room. Um, yeah, wow. no, almost no spiritual upbringing at all. So, wow. Okay. So then, so now, um, all right, jumping back then into like your high school days and then sure. now we're at the point where, so obviously you graduated <laughs> or maybe, you know, not. You know uh, <laughs> um, so I switched high schools my senior year. Um, I went from Calabasas high school. Um, let me back up real quick and put a little aside, a side note here. So I wasn't supposed to go to Calabasas high school. This is this, uh, my family dynamic works in here. Um, so I grew up in going to LA city school. So all through junior high, well, what is now called middle school, I guess. Um, most of the school was bust in from inner city LA. So, um, so, you know, you had local kids like me, you know, I just live a couple blocks away from the school, but most of the school was, was Latinos that got bust in from, uh, South Central LA or, and, and, uh, black students that got bust in from other parts of LA. Um, and so there was a lot of gangs and a lot of violence in the middle school. And, uh, we got bullied a lot. Me and, uh, me and my friends, you know, we were just these little, you know, heavy metal loving white kids. And so we, we got bullied a lot. Um, not so much by, by the, uh, by the Hispanic kids, but by the black kids, we, we got bullied quite a bit. We got, um, I mean, remember this one time, this guy said he, he was going to uh, perform a drive by shooting on us tomorrow, uh, on, you know, and even, 
this is how, how uh, smart he was. He told us where he was going to do it, when he was going to do it. So we're like, okay, so we'll just not be there then at that time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, so uh, because of that, um, I started to notice in my house that uh, it was okay for me to express racist thing because mm. my, my dad would do it my and my brother would do it and you know they'd say the n-word they'd say mm. other racial slurs and i mean growing up in la you, you had all these different nationalities and ethnicities all over the place so yeah. i could i could just run down a list of racial slurs of ethnicities that you probably would never guess have racial slurs you know <laughs> i mean yeah i mean we had I mean, we had Koreans, we had Filipinos, we had Vietnamese, we had uh, Persian, and we also had Iranians, even though they live in the same country. Don't ever get those two confused. We had Iraqis. <laughs> we had, um, I mean, I mean, all over the Middle East. I mean, we had Ethiopians. It was crazy. We had all these ethnicities, and pretty much all of them had their own racial slur. Uh, Israelis. Wow. Uh, I mean, so uh, anyway. Um, so I, I end up becoming very racist. So it comes time for me to go to high school You know, I graduate eighth grade and I'm about to go to, to the high school that I'm supposed to go to, which is Taft high school. Um, which also had a lot of, uh, celebrities that passed through there. Ice cube was one of them. Um, and, uh, so I'm about to go to Taft high school and my mom is like, no, I do not want you to go to Taft High School with your with your little friends. You're going to get in so much trouble. You're gonna you're gonna get into drugs. You're gonna get into all this, you know, violence and all. You're gonna it's just gonna it's bad now. That in eighth grade, it's just gonna snowball and get terrible. And I'm like, no, mom, I'm gonna be with my friends. Uh, you can't. You don't understand. You don't know me. You know all that right. mess that teenagers say. And I'd imagine by and this so, time your uh, siblings are out the house by now, right? My sister was, my brother was not. So, okay. here, so here's what happened. I'm, I'm like fighting my mom. No, I want to go to Taft. I want to go to Taft high school. You know, my mom was a teacher in the school district just down the street, which is, which is where Calabasas high school was. It was in a different school district than LA city, which is where she taught. So she had some pull, she had some clout where she could pull some strings and get me into Calabasas high school. And this was, I'm telling you, this was a like posh, rich kid school. I did not belong. And, and I knew that, and I knew nobody there. And, and I'm like, oh, why would I want to go to Calabasas mom? You know, my brother walks in the room. Cause my mom's like, oh, I can't re I just, I can't convince him. My brother walks in the room and he's like, Dave, let me tell you why you need to go to Calabasas. There are no, and he used the N-word. Oh, wow. No, none, no, no N-words at Calabasas High School. And I went, huh? Mom, I'll go. Wow. It was that simple. That's how, that's how bad I was. That's how bad it was. And so, wow. and so, uh, yeah, so, with, so that's, that's that, how I end up there. Yeah. And with that, I'd imagine like, uh, if you got that support at the house mm -hmm. where everybody is just kind of saying those racist, racist 
things like that, then it right. probably even as you leave the house, there's probably something working inside of you to where I would imagine that's why other people bully other people, mm -hmm. fight them. Yes. You know what I mean? Because you're just. Yeah. Getting you're that you're fuel absolutely back right. The house, you know. So, wow. OK, so mm -hmm. now you're at the school. And uh, so did you end up. Uh, did you finish or no? That's no, because I. Yeah. So after three years at, at the rich kid high school, all my mom's fears about me getting into drugs and stuff happened at the rich kid Calabasas high school. So oh, yeah. it's like, look, you, you, you can, you, you just can't shift somebody's geographic location and think that their problems are going to stop that. That was all already going on in my heart. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be a rock star. And so I, that's the crowd I got in with was people of like mind, um, mm -hmm. even at this different high school. So, so yeah, I got into weed, you know, well, I was already smoking cigarettes when I got there at age 13, but I got into weed in ninth grade, 14. Um, I started, you know, do, dropping acid at 15. I'm still in, going to Calabasas high school. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I started doing, uh, well, I, I did some other hallucinogenics, <laughs> um about age 16 but you know and all throughout i'm just hitting the alcohol like crazy uh, i mean this just this is part of the whole lifestyle there so so my senior year i finally say mom i've had it with these rich kids because uh, i had i mean i stuck out like a sore thumb there you know i did have a few friends but but they were so shallow and whatever i wanted to be with my friends can i at least go back to taft for my senior year so my mom agrees lets me go to taft and when i make that transition um my uh my illustrious former high school fails to send all of my transcripts over and so at, the, at my new high school they're like um you're missing all these credits and i said no i took that class i took that class that one i, I have all these well we don't have it from your whole former high school we'll call them and get it Oh, well, um, uh, we already did and they don't have it. I mean, like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. So even if you graduate with all straight A's, you'd still have to come back next year and, and pretty much wow. you know, do a second senior year, you know? And I was like, uh-uh, I'll show you. I'll drop out. <laughs> so I, so I uh, filed paperwork drop out and I go and take something called the California high school equivalency exam, which I was told was the equivalent of a high school diploma. The only problem is that no employer anywhere has any, has ever heard of this test. And, and, so, <laughs> and so they don't see it as a, so, okay, did you graduate high school? I got my equivalency. Your what? My equivalency, your GED? No, not the GED. It's a California high school equivalency. Yeah, we don't recognize that. So you dropped out is what you're saying? Okay. Wow. <laughs> so I couldn't I couldn't find work, man. It was terrible. <laughs> wow. So who who told you about that? Um, oh gosh. I can't remember who who, who told me about it, but it seems like it might have been a high school counselor, like, well, you know, you can't just drop out and go get your equivalency exam. So yeah, I, so I <laughs> And, uh, oh what's my that? and I look and I look into it. I find it. I go take it. I, I breeze through it. It was super easy. And 
Uh, you know, I think I still have the certificate somewhere in my file cabinet I was, somewhere. I was going to say you should uh, you should uh, later on down the line put that in the uh, the WhatsApp uh, podcast premium yeah. subscribe <laughs> for all you premium <laughs> subscribers. We get a chance to look at that. <laughs> Take a picture. Yeah, if I can. There. Yeah, if I can find that thing. I mean, thank. Thank goodness that wasn't the end of the end of that story, but but yeah. Uh, yeah, I did I did drop out and and it wasn't oh, wow. pretty. Okay, so so then so you know I'm sure now you're 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, 17, mm-hmm. 17, and uh, mm-hmm. trying to find a job with your California equivalency <laughs> diploma thing. Yeah. Yep, yep, and uh, I mean we were so I'm, uh, on the one hand I'm playing in my punk rock band. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe this is, this is what I'm going to do. You know, this is going to be my, my profession. Yeah. I might work some crummy day job during, you know, but, uh, but by and large, this is what I want to do. I want to be a, a, a rock star. And quite honestly, being a punk rock rock star is almost, it's almost a oxymoron because the whole goal behind punk rock is not to sell out. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so it's like, well, how do you not sell out, but also make a living doing this? You you it, you pretty much can't without being accused of being a sellout. So it was just a bad plan all the way around. So so anyway, I'm I'm partying, I you know I'm I'm working crummy little day jobs, delivering Mexican food and and stuff. Uh, worked at a smoothie bar for a little <laughs> a little while. Uh, I mean, just crummy, stupid jobs worked at the telemarketing place. It was just bad, um, making almost nothing. And, uh, one day, uh, this girl that I had been, you know, partying with comes to me and lets me know that she's pregnant. I'm 17 years old, high school dropout. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So this is, I think this is it. My life's over. Uh, I don't know what to do. And so I try to convince her to get an abortion. And so she initially agreed. And so I'm like, okay, Ooh, dodge that bullet. Well, a couple uh, weeks go by and I, I say, Hey, um, did you ever, uh, and she goes, no, a uh, friend of mine talked me into keeping it. And I'm like, wait, 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 what, what, what <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a, father <laughs> this doesn't yeah. make sense what do you mean and and she's like you know i just couldn't you know i was just really struggling with it and i i just couldn't do it so 18 years old you know i, I turned 18 during that time my my dad tells me son the honorable thing to do would be to marry this girl and uh and my dad was not a big fan of hers <laughs> He could tell that she was like a party girl, just like I was a party guy, you know? And so he was like, this is not going to be a good arrangement. I know it, but you already did this thing. The honorable thing to do would be to marry this girl. So a um, little time goes on. She has the baby. Um, beautiful 10 pound, eight ounce baby boy, <laughs> humongous wow. kid. Um and uh next thing i know i'm i'm 18 and i'm a dad and wow and so then it was like my band was like so 
Dave, are you going to be able to practice? Sorry, guys. I, I'm i working seven days a week now. I had to go find more work because I, I got to put food on the table now for, for my baby, you know? Right. So now I'm trying to, uh, now I'm trying to take care of her and the baby. I, I can't do the band thing anymore. And it breaks my heart, but at the same time, I kind of knew deep down this is this wasn't going to be a good long term plan anyway. Mm. Yeah. So. So. Yep. So head first into manhood now. Head first, absolutely. And no, still no clue what I was doing. Absolutely no idea what I was getting into. Um, so, uh, as you can imagine, you know, we're we're two teenagers trying to raise a baby. Uh, without God, we had no, I mean, she had a little bit of Catholicism in her background, um, but we had no idea. And so the fights, the, uh, I mean, were terrible. And then we started partying again, you know, so now we have a baby and we're partying. So, I mean, I remember times, you know, stumbling around drunk and high and all of a sudden the baby starts crying. Like, oh no. I don't know if I can change his diaper right now. <laughs> I might put it on his head. You know, like it was just awful. Oh my goodness. You know, I mean, I, I joke, I joke now, but it, but I mean, uh, that hit me kind of deep. Like, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm really screwed up. I'm, I'm partying and my baby's right here. Right. It, it was just not, not good. Now did, did, thinking like that start to want you to look for a different kind of change spiritually or morally or anything like that? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, part of it was that, um, I didn't have a good dependable job with medical benefits. So we were on, um, well, she was on welfare and well, basically Medicaid, Medi-Cal, which is California's version of Medicaid. She was on Medi-Cal. She was on food stamps. She was on WIC. I mean, she had the full, I mean, so, so basically the state is taking care of her and I'm bringing in a little bit of chump change and I've got no medical insurance at all. So, um, so I needed a, a, a good job with medical benefits. And that was, well, that was, that in my mind, my, that was my, my only question. way forward. I guess that answered my question. Cause I was going to ask you, did you, take your dad's advice and marry her. But obviously yes. she's getting all those benefits. Oh, you did. Okay. Cause I didn't think that she can get all those yeah. benefits if y'all were married. Well, you're, well, you're right. So we weren't married and she had all those benefits. Right. But then when we got married, uh, we, uh, we didn't qualify for that anymore. So I, okay. uh, uh, a, a friend of mine had been, uh, had been telling me, Hey, you know what you need to do? You need to join the Navy. Um, uh, and I was like, eh. and so this friend, well, this is actually a, a friend's parent who was telling me this and he had been in the Navy, like back in the sixties, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was horrible then, but it's great now. <laughs> like, <laughs> How do you know this? <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, um, so I started listening like maybe he's right i mean i'm i'm going nowhere i can't find good work uh you know what am i going to keep working fast food and take out places and telemarketing and 
I can't keep doing this my whole life. This, you know, there's a lot of dead end stuff. And so, um, at, uh, at some point right after the baby was, well, I'd say he was a few months old. Um, this same friend's family who convinced me to join the Navy, they said, Hey, by the way, we're, uh, we're moving out of LA and you guys should come with us. And we said, okay, where are you going? They said, we think Philadelphia, but we'll see. So we drive across the country with them. We end up in Virginia Beach of all places. And uh um, oh, wow. And uh and so I end up uh for a couple of months we we lived with them, but then it, it kind of things kind of spiraled out of control. They we started fighting with them over rent and bills and stuff. And we end up coming back to LA. Uh, but that little bit of time in Virginia Beach, I remember being like, man this place is beautiful. It was late fall, early winter. Uh, we, we got to, we got to see like Thanksgiving and Christmas and it snowed while we were there. I was like, dude, I love this place. <laughs> we yeah. don't get, we don't get fall in LA. We don't get snow. This is oh. like real four seasons here. Wow. And so anyway, we, we, uh, we bail out of there. We come back to LA and first thing, as soon as I land in LA, I go straight to a Navy recruiter's office and I said, sign me up. And so, uh, took the ASVAB and then they put me in the delayed entry program. And <laughs> I had to wait like eight months before they would send me off to boot camp. Oh, wow. I thought the <laughs> Air Force was the only one who did that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, they, they, they uh, made me wait a long time. I had to go find another job while I waited to get in the <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow okay so yeah i mean and that's uh a lot of people that join the military they run out of option and it seems like this was yeah. kind of where you're at and so you know you join yeah. the military because like a lot of people you're like i don't have anything else what do i do and yeah. um were you guys hopeful though? Like, was that something that was in, building up in anticipation? Like, okay, well, maybe we'll get a new, you know, a new start at life or. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like, Hey, you know, we're going to have a steady paycheck. I'm going to learn a trade that's something that's probably transferable outside the military, you know, which I don't, I don't have that now. So this is going to be great. Um, mm. and, and so, yeah, we, uh, but you know, reality smacks you in the face, you know, you, you, you get to boot camp, and they, you know, <laughs> you get the reality check of, um, yeah, so you're going to be scraping paint on the side of a ship, probably <laughs> hanging from a scaffold and, and you're just going to be, you know, chipping paint off the side of a ship. That's your job. What? <laughs> I thought I was yeah. learning a, 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 a high tech trade here. And so eventually I was able to, um, uh, get my job title changed and I end up being an aviation structural mechanic, uh, which I don't do now, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it was a great, great trade to learn. But, but anyway, uh, um, so yeah, I, I got in the Navy this would have been 1998 by this point. I'm 20 years old. Um, just going in the Navy fresh with a you know baby at home. Well, almost two year old at home by that time. And uh, 
yeah, just sort of looking for a fresh start. But the but the interesting thing is that all my problems that I went into boot camp with, you know, the um, the drug addiction, the alcohol, the uh, the racism, the hatred, the um, you know, I had a bad temper. Um, <clears throat> all of those things, they came home with me after boot camp. So, oh, yeah. you know, so I, I, I now, now I'm wearing a uniform. I can stand up a little taller. I can do a few push ups and I can march in a straight line, but I'm still, you know, I'm still fighting addiction. I'm still racist and hateful. And, um, and at that point, I, I sort of began to be like dissatisfied with life, you know? So I, I started to resent my wife, resent my son. Um, and to throw another element in the mix, she's pregnant again. Oh yeah. This time, this time with twins. Wow. <laughs> Wait, so, uh, oh, so by oh, this time. Oh, I'm hang. Hang on, I missed a. I'm so sorry. I missed a crucial, crucial detail. After my son was born, so this is a couple years prior. Um, th this work, this uh, this actually wouldn't man uh, manifest itself in my testimony for some time to come. But, but um, right after my son was born, we uh, we came up pregnant again. Uh, this was maybe it was either five weeks or I think it was five weeks or so after she had delivered our son by C-section because he was so big, she's pregnant again. And I mean, they, 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 they told us at the doctor's office, she actually never even saw the doctor. She saw like a registered nurse practitioner or something. And they were like, Oh my gosh, you're pregnant again. You you've got to terminate. You've got to terminate now, 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 now. You you're gonna die and the baby's gonna die. You've got to terminate. Scared the heck out of us. We were like, okay, okay, whatever. Sure. And and so she did. And I remember we left that doctor's that it was it was a healthcare center for women. It wasn't a planned parenthood, but they, you know, they did a lot of the same things that planned parenthood did. Right. But, but, uh, but yeah, um, we left there just feeling like, do you, I remember we said to each other, do you feel like you just murdered somebody? And it, remember, wow. I have no, I have no spiritual upbringing at all. And I'm, yeah, I really do. And, and I remember it just weighed on my heart so profoundly. So fast forward a few years, now I'm in the Navy. Now she's pregnant again. And they let us know it's twins. And it's it, at some level, I feel like, oh man, am I getting, am I getting some kind of cosmic vindication? <laughs> like, like, yeah, you, you, uh, terminated, right. But now you're getting two and it's, I mean, it was, you know, when you're, when you're not saved, you know, these weird kind of calculations work out in your head. And yeah. so, but, but I remember, uh, does she kind of so feel she's like that too? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's at this point, she, she's pregnant. We're living in, uh, I get my first orders. I, I end up in a place called Point Magoo, California, 
which was all of about 38 miles from my front door growing up, join the Navy, see the world, right? (laughs) So I know like the absolute closest military installation to my house. That's where I got stationed anyway. And so that, and that, that wasn't a good thing because my old life is just right down the street. So, um, so, but uh, we're at Point Magoo and she's, she's pregnant with twins. Right. And we've got these neighbors and these neighbors start inviting us to their church down the street. And we're, you know, and I'm immediately, I'm like, church, what? And, you know, they're, you know, and, and they weren't like pushy and, and, and it was a Baptist church. It was just a Baptist church just, just down the road from us. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, you know, uh, you guys should come, you know, we have a Bible study before service and, 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 uh, I was like, eh, whatever, I guess, you know? So, but my wife at the time was, was like, yeah, let's, let's go, let's go. So I go to this, this, you know, medium sized Baptist church, you know, it had the stained glass and it had the steeple with the cross on, on top. It had all that stuff. Um, nice, nice people, very, um, very, uh, somber. The services, you know, it's not, and it's not like that. It's, you know, oh, it is well, oh, my yeah. soul. you know, it's, so it's, it's not the Southern uh, Baptist reading out. You walked up in. No, was not <laughs> Southern Baptist. This was, this was like very calm. <laughs> so anyway, but I like the place. I'm like, this is all right, you know? And so then I guess my wife invited the pastor over to our house because he showed up at my house like a couple nights later. Oh, wow. And by this, you know, by this time, she's like seven months pregnant. I mean, she's huge with these twins. Uh, and so the pastor comes over and he just sits on our couch and talks to us for like two hours. just. And just, you know, Hey, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? You know, what do you want out of life? You know, what do you believe? What do you believe about God? What do you, what do you think about Jesus? You know, he's just asking me basic spiritual question and I didn't have any answers. I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe I think he's, you know, some force, some cosmic force. I don't know what I said to that guy. <laughs> uh, and, and so I just remember him, him saying, well, you know, uh, that God is real and that he proved that he loved us and that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. And he went through the whole gospel message. Basically, he went through the Roman road to salvation right there on yeah. my couch with us. And at the end of it, I remember he led us in a sinner's prayer. And I didn't know everything I was saying and praying, but I know in my heart of hearts that when I, after I said, Amen, and and raised my head. Everything was different. Wow! Everything. My entire perspective had changed in a moment. So, well, all of okay, a sudden, me, all right, because yeah, while he's witnessing to you and your wife, all uh-huh. right, I like you say, I know you didn't really understand what you were telling him about his questions and the the Q and A. Yeah, but like, were you under? Did you f- remember feeling a certain conviction or up up to leading to that sinner's prayer? Like, was the conviction of the Holy Ghost like really on you or 
Not really. Not really. It, it was, um, you know, I was, I was understanding what he was saying somewhat, but it wasn't like, oh man, I'm a raw sinner. What must I do? It wasn't like that at all. I mean, wow. I was just, like, like he, he, uh, he, he said, Hey, you know, why don't we pray? Why, why don't you bow your head with me? And I, I just, okay. <laughs> I, was, I was so dense, man. Anyway. Uh, um, and so he, he, he leads us in a prayer and, and I repeat and, and, um, and he, he said, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior? And my, my ex-wife was like, yes. And I was like, uh, uh what she said, <laughs> like, I, I got, I didn't know exactly what I was getting. I was like, yes. But I knew that once I said yes, that I, that I meant it and I knew there was no going back. And, and it, it was, I, I can't fully explain to this day what all transpired in that, that moment, but I know that I was changed, totally wow. changed. So the, the cursing went away immediately. Like I, I, I was a sailor. So I swore like a sailor. Uh, I was into drugs, but the addictions were all gone, especially cigarettes, which was the hardest one to break. Um, uh, you know, the, the military has a zero tolerance policy for, for, uh, drugs and alcohol, well, for drugs, right. <laughs> not for al- definitely not for alcohol, definitely not alcohol. <laughs> um, but, but those addictions, especially cigarettes were gone. I mean, and, and the, like I said, the cursing was gone and it took me a few, it took me a while to realize that the racism was gone. That one took me a while. Cause I, cause I, I worked with all these all these guys in the Navy that were of different nationalities and different ethnicities. And after a while, I realized that I didn't hate them. Like I, 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 I wasn't harboring these prejudice and bitter feelings toward them. Like I used to back in LA, you know, growing up. And so it, that took me a while to realize that, but when I did, it blew my mind. Like, wow, I used to be a racist. Wow. And now God changed me. And and so now I'm now I'm loving these guys that that uh, don't look like me, didn't grow up like me, and but I can see in them what God saw in me that he that he loved them, that he gave his own son to die for them. Now now that's what I'm seeing. Mm, wow, man, that is powerful. In a moment, yeah, in a moment, yeah. The moment was so profound. I think I have it down to the minute. I think it was eight twenty p.m. 8, April first, nineteen ninety nine. wow praise god man so okay yeah that that is a radical conversion that is a holy ghost conversion so so from there you know like you you pray the prayer and then like do you really just start trying to learn about god did you start going to church faithfully yes okay yes uh, yes um I, i i had like a thirst right away. I wanted to get in the word of God. I wanted to learn everything I could about God. I wanted to, I wanted to hear as much uh, Bible teaching and preaching as I possibly could. It was like nothing could satiate the, the, the hunger, you know? And, um, the trouble was that, um, I was in the Navy and so I had to start deploying. And so I couldn't be there for 
you know, for, for church and for Bible study. And, and as I'm, as I start going out on deployment, I start to find that my, my wife at the time who was so like, yes, I'm ready to get saved, starts to kind of back off and starts to not want to go to church. And pretty soon she's like, I don't like those people. <laughs> uh, you know, wow. I'm like, what? But, 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 and so I try to, you know, compromise. Well, maybe, maybe I'll just go and take kids. How, how about we find a different church? Okay, let's find a different church. But then she won't go to that one. I'm only going to that one. I mean, and I bounced around to three or four different places, um, all in Southern California, right around where I was, uh, uh, where I was stationed. And it just didn't, it just wasn't working. So, wow, so by now you got three kids. So now I have three kids, um, all under the age of, uh, four and, and, uh, I go on my first deployment, like my first six month deployment. Like I was going out to sea, you know, for two weeks, three weeks, one week. Right. Right. Know? Um, and so then I go on my first six month or and when I come back, um my whole life was in shambles. I mean, it was really, really bad. I, I came home to you know, a house with no food in it, laundry piled up to the ceiling, um checks were bouncing. I mean the all the nightmares you hear about uh, uh, from deployments when guys yeah. come home, mm-hmm. I had all of them, uh, all of them. Man, wow. and and uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, she had burned all the bridges with all these you know people at church, so I couldn't go back there. Oh, well, I probably could have, you know. It's one of those things where people think, "Oh, I burned bridges. I can't ever go back to that church." You probably can, <laughs> right? But the pride uh, isn't. You know, you yeah. got so much going on and the pride yeah. keeps you from going and, yeah, you know, so now, okay, you get home and you had that radical experience with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm still, one, you, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just want to know, like from here, what, what happens? Do you, do you totally backslide? Do you end up trying to make it work or. So I try to make it work for a while. Um, well, we try to make it work for a while. She initially, she wanted to just leave and go, I don't know, get an apartment with some friends or something and take the kids with her. And I was like, why would I let you do that? (laughs) You're going to go take our kids and party somewhere. No. Um, so anyway, we, uh, we, we kind of start working things out. She still won't come to church. I want to live for God. So I, so I start backing off of pushing her toward church. Um, and then I come up for orders. Uh, by this time I'm at the very end of my, of my first tour of duty and, and, uh, I'm up for orders and I say, Hey, um, we can go anywhere. Where do you want to go? And she says, Hey, remember how much we liked Virginia? Yeah. Well, shoot, I can get orders there easy. (laughs) Uh, and so, uh, I picked, uh, I picked orders. Uh, I think I picked, uh, oh gosh, I think I only, all that was available was like one for Norfolk, three for Lemoore, California, and one for San Diego or something like that. And I got the Virginia one, boom. <laughs> and uh, and so we load up, you know, it, it comes time. I check out of my first command 
we load up to go across country and she tells me, Hey, um, I don't want to go. I said, Hey, you're, you're a little late with that news. You're coming. <laughs> so we drive all the way across the country together. It was a harrowing experience. Should have taken us three days, took us seven. Um, I mean, just, it was a, just not a good experience. We kept, um, kept getting lost and which was crazy because we had driven across country a couple of times already. We knew how you get on I-40, you just get on I-40. It's a straight shot. Come on people. (laughs) uh, And so uh, we get here, we get to Virginia beach and start looking for a place to live. I kid you not. No place would take us. No place. Wow. Everywhere, it was June of 2002 by this time. No apartments had opening. Nobody would rent their house to us. We, we were told repeatedly, you've got too many kids. We only had three. It wasn't like we're showing up with seven kids or something. We, we had three kids. That's a normal amount. No, you have too many kids. We were told you don't make enough money. I was an E5. And they said, oh, yeah, well, we know what, what uh, E5s make in housing allowance, and you wouldn't be able to afford the rent here. And I mean, it was like, and, and they were right. It was like two, they were charging $200 or more above housing allowance at that time. It was like, and, and wow. so it was, so we spent weeks holed up in a red roof inn over off a new town road and um, uh, looking for a place to live, and we could not find one. And so one day, um, she comes to me again and says, Hey, you know, I didn't want to come with you out here. I said, yeah, I know. Well, I don't want to stay. I want to go back. And by that time, you know, we were so frustrated with each other. And so, you know, we'd been bickering and fighting and the kids are screaming because we're in a little motel room. And, and so I was like, you know, you know what? Go, I, I I'm, I'm done. Go. And she goes, Oh, Okay. Well, my sister's actually uh, flying out here already. She, her plane lands in a few hours. Like, wait, you have this planned out already? <laughs> it was crazy. Wow. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, her, uh, I, I, uh, I went to work the next day. And while I was there, she packed up our van and left, took the kids and just was gone. I knew she was going to do it, but, you know, part of me was hoping like, okay, maybe she'll, Maybe she'll wise up and she won't actually do it. Nope, she did it. And so she drove back across the country, back to LA. And here I am in Virginia Beach as a geographical bachelor. Now, okay, with um, <laughs> see, this, this is the, the, the powerful thing about these testimonies because you get so in depth. You had that radical experience with God. Yeah. And that was a very real thing. Yes. So, so because it was so real, where are you at spiritually with all of this happening in your life? At that point, I was so mad, so bitter, so upset. I completely just, I was like, I'm done. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm backslidden. I wasn't looking for a church. I wasn't, I wasn't looking to get back into church. Um, so as soon as she left, the first place I went was the Virginia Beach Oceanfront. It was summertime. I knew there were going to be some girlies down there. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, so I'm like, 
I was so mad at her that I was just like on a war path. I'm going to go find me a girl and I'm going to yeah. do something that I'll, that I'll totally regret. <laughs> I know yeah. I will. Um, and so I, I go down to the Virginia beach oceanfront and I start walking the, the oceanfront, you know, trying to, you know, oogle eye every girl that walks by, you know, they're all walking by in bikinis and junk. And, um, and, uh, the problem is even though I'm backslidden and I know that I'm backslidden deep down, I knew every time I would look at, at, at a woman, I would feel conviction. Wow. I would be like, I would be like cut to the heart. Like, Oh man, I shouldn't be looking at, and, and, it, and I would, no, 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 no. Come on. Remember what she did to you. And then I would do it again and I'd feel conviction again and again and again and again. And it just kept happening. And finally, after like, <laughs> I don't even know how long, an hour, hour and a half of this, I said, all right, let's get real here. I have not been happy since I was serving God in a church. I need to get off this oceanfront right now and go find a church. I, wow. I, actually, I actually said that to myself. So I said, okay, my car is parked a block that way. All right, here I go. I go to leave the oceanfront. I turn to, to, walk, to you know, down one of the streets, and I can practically see where my car is parked. And a guy steps in front of me with a flyer and says, hey, <clears throat> hey, man, are you saved? And hands me a flyer for the Virginia Beach Potter's House. Wow. And this is 2000 and this Two. is 2002. Yes. So, wow. You said that to yourself and boom. There it is. And there it was. It was, it was like God was waiting for me. And as soon as I said that, he sent somebody. Thank God that person was faithful and they stepped in front of me, interrupted my, you know, I was making a beeline for my, for my car. I was, and who knows, I would have, I was just going to like open a phone book and point and say, okay, I'm going to go to this church right here. What is this? Yeah. Oh, Episcopal. What's that? <laughs> okay, let's go. And, and uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to get into. <clears throat> right. And, and so I, because they, and, and, and here's the thing, they were out there outreaching. And so he starts telling me like, you know, first, you know, are you saved? And I was like, yeah, I wasn't saved. I kind of knew that, but. <clears throat> but you know, I was in a Baptist church. They believed once saved, always saved. So, so I was like, yeah. yeah. And, um, talks to me for a little bit and he's like, well, Hey, if you're saved, man, what are you doing out here? Nothing. Why don't you help us? Come here. And he, and I walk over and these people are singing, clapping, testifying, street preaching. I'm like blown away. I'm like, wait a minute. People really do this. Like, this is what I wanted in the church that I got saved in. I was, I was like, why don't people, you know, if, if this is the most important news of all time, why aren't we preaching it on the streets? Why aren't we going door to door? Why aren't we evangelizing in public? Yeah. Well, well, brother, you know, you got to use tact and <laughs> yeah. all the excuses people give. There was one guy in my first church. That would go door to door and he would do it like once every six months. And he was an old guy. And I was like, Hey, Hey, uh, his name was, uh, 
Dr. Bob. <laughs> Ironically, I now know another Dr. Bob out in the Norfolk church, but, but yeah. um, uh, Dr. Bob news. was the only yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He's in Newport news. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this one guy in my first church, older guy was the only one who would evangelize like once every six months. And he's like, yeah, next time I go, I'll let you know. And he never let me know. <laughs> he forgot who I was. Yeah, but, uh, and so I'm watching these people out on the street, street preaching, and I'm blown away. I'm like, this is what I wanted in my first church that they, they weren't doing this. This is wow. amazing. And so, and so I'm like, man, I'm, uh, where are you guys at? Uh, uh, I'm coming. And so from, from that next Sunday on, I, I have been there ever since June of wow. 2002. Praise God, man. And, you know, that's just another picture of God's faithfulness. Here it is, yeah. all this stuff going on in your life, the things that you're saying to God right there before getting in the car. And yeah. so, you know, and then he meets you and shows you, okay, yeah. I got you, you know. Yeah. So then, you know, um, so what was that, you know, what was that like? Just, you know, you, now you're going to the potter's house and stuff like that. Right. And, your, right. Your, your your wife at the time she just left, mm -hmm. but you're you know, you're going to church again. So what right. was all of that like? Well, um, it was not received well. Um, uh, for sure. Um, she contacted our uh, somehow. Even though she had burned all these bridges with our former church, she contacted that old pastor to talk some sense into me. Because she was convinced that I was in a cult now. <laughs> oh boy. And so of course he contacts me and he was like, um, he's like, Hey, that's a charismatic church. <clears throat> you know, they, <clears throat> they, they believe on in a lot of weird things. You should go find yourself a nice Baptist church. And I'm going, you know, I am so grateful for you that you came to my house, that you shared the gospel with me. I attribute my salvation to your ministry. However, you were absolutely wrong about this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but everything that we should have been doing as a church, they are doing. So I'm staying. And so um, my, my uh, ex-wife did not receive that well at all. And so um, I prayed and prayed and prayed and asked, you know, I, you know I, I tried to get her to come back and she just, you know, she just wasn't interested. So after, you know, uh, we, I, I tried for, uh, four and a half years to get her to come back. And, um, she wow. just, she just said, Nope, <laughs> no, I wow. don't want any part, any part of that. So, and, um, you know, I know, I, I, that, um, the Bible speaks very clearly about divorce. Okay. Yeah. I know <laughs> I tried everything to avoid it, but, you know, um, at the time, um, she actually, you know, this, so after about four and a half years of just me, I, I was coming to church the whole time I was tithing. I was, I was, I was at every outreach. I was at every you know, street preaching. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm at every revival. I'm going to revivals at other churches. I'm, I'm excited, man. And God is moving in my life in a powerful way. And I'm trying to share that with her. She's not having it. Um, um, along the way, God exposed some things <clears throat> to me that she was involved in 
and she got con- kind of caught red-handed doing a, a few things. <laughs> and so eventually she, um, she uh, asked for a divorce. And, um, and I remember I consulted with my headship at the time and they said, listen, Dave, if she's expressed this, <laughs> you know, it, at yeah. that point, it's like, if the, the, at that point, if the unbeliever departs, let them depart. <laughs> right. And, and so I said, okay. And so I'm, I'm one of the only people in our, uh, you know, in our fellowship that I've ever met that got a divorce after they were in our fellowship. <laughs> Usually you hear these stories of God restored my marriage. <laughs> and I was like, I can't wait to be one of those people that has that story. And no, <laughs> I'm not one of those people who has that story. And so, uh, but, but that is, you know, all things considered, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little, but all things considered, um, I can actually, if I needed to, today, I could contact her uh, regarding the kids or, or, or any subject, really, and have a completely polite and civil conversation with her right now, which is an absolute miracle, because there was a time when it was nothing but contention and strife. And yeah. so... And so God is so faithful that he even repaired that relationship, right. <laughs> which was so severed and broken. And so, I mean, I mean, we just, that, that same little boy that we had um, in that, uh, you know, when I was seven, seven, 18, 18 years old, that same baby that we had when we were 18, just got married two months ago. He's 25 now. And I was at the wedding with my wife and she was at the wedding with her husband. And we were all actually able to stand together and take a photo together. I mean, that's how faith, that's how faithful God is. Yeah, for sure, man. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is awesome, man. And so tell us, I mean, because obviously, like you said, you did, you know, you just, you're going to live your life. And you're living right. your life in Christ. And right. so obviously your wife comes into the picture. So tell yeah. us about that. Uh, you know, how that. Right. So, so Caitlin comes into the church. Um, she was invited by, uh, by uh, a, another guy that, that was coming. Uh, you know, we, like you said, we have a lot of Navy and military around here. Well, we have a couple of Navy schools around here. And um, one of them is at a base called Damneck. Uh um, I don't even know what the formal name of it is. Everybody just calls it Damneck. <laughs> and so there's a big Navy school there. And uh, so she was going to a Navy school there. And this other guy who was in our fellowship already, and he was just here for school. So he came to our church while he was here. Uh, but I think he went to the church, Joe, uh, Pastor Joe Rice's church out in San Diego. Um, he uh, He came here. And then while he was at school one day, he went to the laundromat and there was this girl there wearing a, wearing a Christian t-shirt. And he said, Hey, you, you got a church you go to? And she was like, no, Are you saved. Yeah. He's like, Hey, can you give me a ride to my church then? <laughs> so, so she was like, sure. Uh, all right. And so that was in, um, that was in 2004. Uh, he started, uh, she, she started, uh, coming and just, she just liked it and kept coming. And, uh, I mean, she's, uh, by her own testimony, she said she was coming for six months before she 
uh, finally knelt at an altar and said, okay, God, <laughs> I'm backslidden, I admit. But she was coming for six months. So, um, so you know, at that point, I was still married. Um, I was still married to my first wife. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't pursuing her or anything like that. But I noticed how faithful she was. Like, yeah. like she was coming before six months before she ever prayed at the altar. It was during an Oscar Gafford revival. <laughs> and, you know, he was, oh, out, yeah. he was out up there preaching, you gun burn, my friend. You know, yeah. <laughs> he went to the altar. It's hard not to <laughs> and, um, when he comes in town. <laughs> I know. So, so uh, yeah, so she goes to the altar and, and she, um, and she uh, gets saved. And, and I remember, I, I remember just times we'd be outreaching and she was so, fi- I mean, she was the most on fire female I had ever seen. You know, she was just, you know, the men would all go out and street preach and she'd come along. Yeah, and she she'd get she'd get on the bullhorn too, and I'm, and you know, most of the other guys, it's like their their wives stayed home with the kids or something, and but she's single, so she's out there with us, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it was, and so I was like, wow, and so those things just I saw that, you know, how she had a she had such a heart for people, and and so, uh, I mean, for example, one time she uh, this we had this one lady coming to church, um needed a car. And so my wife sold her a car for an amount to be paid later, maybe, and still was paying the insurance on this car for this lady. And, and the lady crashed the car, (laughs) hadn't, hadn't even finished paying my wife for the car. And my wife was still paying the insurance on the car, but she was just like, Oh, whatever. It's okay. No problem. Just you know, just live for God. Just, just keep coming to church, live for God. (laughs) That's just, that's how she was. And so I saw that and I was like, man, that is just amazing to me how generous and how giving she is. And so, and so I just kind of saw that over time. And so, uh, after some years, you know, after I had done another deployment and I, um, eventually, um, uh, you know, come back and, and, um, got uh ended up getting the divorce which was a, a, a terrible experience I, I when i went through that a few times i said to people who would ask me you know how's it going i said look i wouldn't wish this on osama bin laden it was really painful uh, so wow. um so anyway uh but some time goes on you know i'm i i become a single guy again and uh <clears throat> and I'm just living for God, just trying to do what's right, just trying to live for God, you know, and, and uh, come to church and, you know, um, and over time, I, I just start kind of noticing this lady, Caitlin has, you know, she, she's been a friend, you know, she's, she's been in church a long time now, you know, by that time, it was like three or four years she'd been coming, you know, and she'd gone and done a deployment because she was in the Navy at the time and she'd come back and, and replanted herself in the house of God and started going for God again. And, and I had done the same thing and, you know, I'd gone on my deployment. So we had a long spans of time where we didn't see each other, you know? Right. Um, And, uh, but, but she remained faithful and I noticed that. And so over time I, I, I uh, just said, you know what? Um, I think I'm ready to, 
uh, move on. And, um, and so I talked to my pastor and he said, it would be all right if I, uh, if I asked her out. <laughs> yeah. And so n- another miracle that happened during that same time, um, after the divorce, uh, some time goes on. And, um, one day my ex-wife contacts me, this is months and months after the, the divorce. She calls me and says, um, listen, this son of yours, <laughs> he is too much. I can't handle him. Will you take him? I said, are you kidding? You want me to come get him right now? <laughs> like, I'll fly out there and get him right now. She's like, well, well, maybe, maybe next month, come get him. And so I did. I flew out, picked him up. And, and so now I'm a single parent. Wow. Uh, and I've and I've got my my eleven year old with me at church, and she was right. He was a handful. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah. He he was. Um, he didn't really want to live with me. So, uh, so you know, we we had to work on our relationship too. And so my uh, so Caitlin, we end up you know at, at, over some time we you know we date. And then we eventually get married 2008, early 2008, March. And, um, and so she steps right in to being a stepmother, Wow! <laughs> you know? Um, and I mean, it was like day one, she's a stepmom. I mean, she, she had already, of course she knew my son because he had been living with me for a time, but, um, but now she's his stepmom. The dynamic completely changes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I've watched oh, what a brother, ride. I've watched my brother go into that role immediately with his mm-hmm. wife. You know, she had her son. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's a lot of challenges that the step parent faces yeah. that most people that have never experienced that don't even know. So, uh, right. man, yeah. Props. Man. Yeah. That's, that's huge. That's really awesome. Yes. Huge props, huge kudos to her for, for even, even wanting to put up with that <laughs> yep mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah i've got friends in the church that have done that and to to their uh to them man i say kudos man so praise yeah. god so man dave that you know i didn't know a lot of this stuff and so um you know when i came in to the church uh you were married already and right. uh, you, you had a band, so you took that musical <laughs> talent into the kingdom of God. I've watched yeah. you and your wife, and she sings. And yep. so just, I mean, I know you could talk about a lot, but I know we're going to get ready to wind this down really shortly. Sure. But just some key highlights, I guess, maybe, you know, a couple, just some really awesome things that has really stood out in your salvation uh, I mean, mm. are, are there, I mean, like I said, I know you can, you can talk a lot. I mean, about, because I know I could too, but it's just there's sure. some, some key things, you know, just living for Jesus on the everyday. Mm-hmm. You had that radical conversion, uh, when you did, and then now just continuing to live for God. What, you know, do you have any? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I would say first, uh, I mean, aside from the wonderful experience of salvation itself um, was when I was filled with the Holy ghost. That was Mm. an incredible experience. Uh, It was a Richard Brooks revival in Norfolk. I remember 
<laughs> he said, uh, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to you know speak in tongues where he's laying his hands on me, and he's like, listen, can you say BB Baba?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, y- "Yeah," and he's like, "Then you can speak in tongues." Praise God, we're gonna pray, and he just <laughs> oh, and, but oh but man, he was one after, of a kind, man. Yeah, yeah, but after that, you know, and and I began to speak in tongues, and and it was like this new dimension. I noticed that I could outreach now. Like before I would go on outreach and I would struggle to witness to people, but now it was like I had this new dimension of boldness and I could, I could show up anybody's door. Didn't matter who opened the door and I could, and I, and I could bring the gospel. You know, it was like, this is amazing. (laughs) This is another one of those things that I never knew that I always wanted. (laughs) So, uh, so, uh, so that's, that's one. Amen. Um, uh, I would say the, um, the, the restoration of my family has been, been another one. Like I mentioned, you know, I had the, had the divorce, uh, got remarried. Um, my wife and I have two boys. Uh, and then of course I have my three older children from my, from my first marriage. Right. And so there was this, there was sort of this rift for for a long time because my, my son didn't want to have anything to do with us. You know, when he turned about 15, 16, he just, um, I'm out of here. You know, he, he actually, he actually just, as soon as he graduated high school, he was out, he, he moved out. Uh, and, but, um, and then my, my daughters, you know, I've really never got the chance to build a good relationship with them. The majority of their life, I've, I haven't lived with them and that, and, but, but today, today, um, I have a, a, a fantastic relationship with all of them. And so, wow. uh, you know, and, and so even like, like I said, even I'm even cordial with my ex-wife. That's, that blows my mind <laughs> that, that that's possible after everything that, that we went through. Um, uh, so, um, of course the, you know, being, being delivered from all, all my addictions was just, and, and racism. <laughs> Being delivered from racism is like, how big of a problem is that to yeah. this day? Yep. Everything and everybody is apparently racist. And it's yeah. like, well, look, I was once racist and God delivered me from racism. So yeah. we have the answer. You know, we have the answer. It's it's right here. It's found in Christ. It's, you know, and so that's that's another big one. Um seeing people get saved um through some various ministry that you that you perform or that you do you know like um you come and you play a concert so you're using the these basic talents that god gave you you're using them for his kingdom and his glory and as a result you know you might be in some town somewhere you know i mean we you know i can't remember how many times we went to spring lake north carolina and yeah. you know uh, most people couldn't find that on a map. I mean, I know it's a big uh, army town, but um, but we would go there and we would play a, sh- a a concert. You know, we'd give our testimonies, we'd play music, and people would respond to the altar call. And it's like, man, to be used like that. And, and so one time in our church, um, we did a play, or I'm sorry, we did a, a musical skit, and. Um, and uh, I, at the time, I was the drama leader, so I, I orchestrated this thing, 
you know, and, and it was set to the uh, casting crown song, set me free, powerful yeah. song. And so we had, you know, I, I was like, I was the Gadarene demoniac, you know, and so I got chains all over me and I got, I got all these people dressed in black with, you know, with like demon masks on and they got the chains and pulling on me every time I'm going, set me free. And they're pulling on me. And yeah. then finally, and then finally Jesus shows up and casts all the demons out and, and, you know, and pulls the chains off and gives me a big hug. And it was a, it was a powerful, uh, 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 skit. And at the end of it, somebody came forward and gave their life to Christ and they still come to our church today. And, and this was, and this was like seven years ago. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so those are just incredible high points that it's like, man, there's just nothing in the world that's, that you can, that's priceless. That is absolutely priceless. And you can yes, only do that. Is. And you can only do that in, in Christ. Yeah. I tell you what, man, there's something I, uh, and I remember too. look at, look at how good God is. You are a thriving punk rocker. And I watched you and I watched you rap at a concert. <laughs> you, you were a racist, you were a racist punk rocker. <laughs> and I watched you go hard with some rap lyrics yeah. at a concert. And I'm like listening to this testimony and I'm like, man, only yeah. God, <laughs> only God. Right. Uh, all right. The fact that I would even listen to, uh, to some Christian hip hop is like, like, wow, man. I mean, cause I tell you, I hated rap music, man. <laughs> I hated it. So yeah, the, the fact that, uh, that God would use me to, you know, and even inspire me to do that is just yeah, you know, blo blows me away. Blows me away. Well, that's, that's, that's what God does, man. That's incredible. Um, hey, well, can I jump in for a second? Yes, sir. Absolutely. So, man, uh, I've heard your testimony uh, so many times, but even I have heard some new details that I didn't know about to, uh, as I'm listening to this. But, uh, Dave, what I appreciate about you so much is that when, when my wife and I came to Virginia Beach, uh, getting close to 11 years ago, it was mm -hmm. you and your family who welcomed us, gave us a ride in your car, in your <laughs> tiny little car that didn't fit. A tiny anything. little clown car. Yeah. <laughs> but from day one, you, you've been a major support to us and you've been friends with us. Um, but but, uh, but I, I do know this, that that guy that witnessed to you on the street of Virginia Beach, um, mm -hmm. your former pastor here in Virginia Beach, yeah. then, uh, you know, some stuff happened and he had to leave. and. And yep. then you were under Pastor Sloan for several years as yep. well. And mm -hmm. um, I, I wonder if you could just describe, because what you represent to me is hundreds and maybe thousands of incredibly faithful people that are spread out all across our fellowship that, you know, maybe will never have their name on a flyer, you know, or right. yeah, maybe not even, uh, and I know you've shared this with me in the past that you know, you, you don't feel that you're called to preach and, and, uh, you know, you're maybe not going to pioneer a church or become a missionary or something like that. But I'll, I want you to speak yeah. to those. If, if my wife had her way. Yeah. <laughs> She's called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I'd love, I'd love for you to speak to those people that are maybe in, in that same position. It's a position of support. It's a position of 
being a pillar. It's a position of uh, not not being in the limelight and yet still having to to you know support those around you and maybe some of the struggles sure. and some of the victories that come along with that. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, well, uh, by way of by way of a story, actually, um, I can ex- explain exactly what you're talking about. So, um, I knew early on that uh, that God had not called me to preach. Um, I knew other guys in the church who claimed that they were called to preach, and I saw how they were. You know, they were always looking for sermon illustrations. Every thing that happened in life was a sermon illustration, and they had to write it down. They were always crafting sermons, and I never had any compunction to do that at all. Um, so, uh, but there were some things that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, there some things that happened. We, we came under different leadership. Uh, you know, we had some pastoral change and things like that. We had some people come, some people go uh, over the years. I mean, I mean, like I said, June, June of 2002, I came into the Virginia Beach Potter's house. It's now 2022. It's I'm, I got my 20 year anniversary this year, y'all. Hey. <laughs> so, um, but so there was a time where there was uh, an erroneous teaching. I want to say that was kind of, that kind of floated through the church where basically if, if you were in ministry, in leadership, you were called to preach, you know, and, and, it, and if you said that you weren't, you were almost looked down at like, oh, well, we're not going to invest a lot in you then because you're not going to go out someday. So, and, th- and this didn't happen for a very, I mean, this didn't take a long time to finally be exposed and squashed, <laughs> but, but so there was a time when I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm called to preach then. And, and so I was under that assumption for a while. And um, it wasn't actually until after you came, Pastor, Pastor Adam, that, that uh, I'll never forget. I mean, we went to a, uh, a rally down in, in Jacksonville. I want to say it was a pioneer rally. And uh, Pastor Campbell was there and he, he was like, you know, listen, if you are called to preach, come up to the front. And I remember the conviction uh, of, of, no, uh, you're not called to preach. <laughs> Stop this. And, and so I just, I remember I, I, I stayed seated and people noticed because people were like, oh, well, of course Dave's called to preach. He's He's uh, in charge of this ministry and that ministry, and you know, and you know, he's on the mic and he can he can sing and be, 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 be. Uh, uh, clearly he's you know he's got the charisma, you know, and it's like well look, that's all what man sees. <laughs> that's that's looking through the eyes of man, like Samuel looking at Dave, uh, looking at uh, Jesse's sons. Oh, clearly this is the guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, and so I remember my wife being so disappointed because she thought she was marrying a future preacher and, and, you know, and, and I was like, look, I'm sorry. I've, I, I've, I kind of got pressured into thinking that I was supposed to be a preacher and I'm not, but there is such 
glorious life when you find what you're supposed to do, your actual purpose. And, and, I, and I knew that God was calling me to be a sender, not a goer. And, and I've heard many sermons since then about that very thing. Listen, yes, we want to send people out, but we need people to stay. And, and, um, and so if God has not called you to preach, it's okay. <laughs> he, he may have a very, very um, uh, diverse and specific or, or specific role for you in your church. He has something for you to do where you're a, a support to your pastor and to other men who are rising up. You can actually, you know, even though you may not be a pastor, you know, you can actually help disciple men. I mean, this is like, I, I, I don't know. It seems like we, we have this idea that you have to be a pastor in order to disciple somebody. No, you don't. Um, you can help in the discipleship process for sure. You Listen, if, you're, if you've been saved a long time and you see your brother who hasn't been saved as long, or maybe has, and they're acting stupid, you can go say something to them. That's discipleship. Yep. <laughs> hey, man, quit being stupid. You know, <laughs> you can do that. Yeah. You know? I, I heard somebody say, you, you can, I heard somebody say, even if you're half backslidden, you can still serve as a bad example. <laughs> That's a good one right there. Yes. Yeah, that is a good one. That, yeah. So, I mean, uh, so God gave me a, a, a very good job that I've been at for 13 years now. I mean, I've been at my job longer than I was in the Navy. So, um, and, uh, and God's made it so that, uh, I mean, he made a way for us to be debt free. So now we can, we can give more. Uh, you know, we can give more time, energy, resource. We, we, I mean, he's just moved so that we, to, uh, to put us into position to be able to send people. So that's, that's really where God has brought us to, to, to this day is, is to be senders. And, um, and so if you're, you know, if, if you feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm not called to preach. So what am I worth? You're worth a lot, a lot. Wow. (laughs) That is so true, the, man, because the, um, yeah, you look at um, when I'll speak for myself and Pastor Dragoon, you uh, you can tell me if you felt this way. But, you know, when you leave your mother church to go out and pastor and, and pioneer and when you go back to your mother church and you see those faithful pillars there's like a special, like you just feel so proud that they are there holding up the church and you brag about your mother church to right. these new converts. And man, this is where I come from. And you're so proud to take people to your mother church for you, Pastor Dragoon. It would be like, you know, when you go to conference, of course, but um, but you see those pillars and you just feel so proud. And you're like, man, these people are mm-hmm. faithful. And uh, for you to be that in the Virginia Beach Church, that's what that's what I started off when I said you, you have been you and Kate have been a role model to us in the sense of, man, your faithfulness wow. speaks volumes. Well, and not just to me very, and Rosie. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, there's a lot of people just in the Hampton Roads 
we all know each other. We're one big family. Oh yeah. And so sure. that is sure, uh, powerful. And, and, you know, uh, a scripture that comes to mind, um, especially if you're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling not so useful because I'm not called to preach. Uh, in Romans 10, you know, we quote it all the time, you know, how, how will they call on him who they haven't believed? And how are they going to believe on him if they've never heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? But if you, but the verse doesn't stop there. The next thing it says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? So <laughs> there has to be a sending body. Yep. <laughs> so it's not like, oh, well, how will they hear without a preacher? Well, it doesn't end there. They have to be sent. That preacher has to be sent. And so, and so um, I'm really grateful to uh, hear that, uh, to, to hear those kind words, Pastor Rome. I mean, obviously we, you know, we've, we've also seen you and Rosie and the boys for many years and, and, uh, and all you folks in Newport news, we love you guys, <laughs> Pastor Dion and, and, uh, oh my goodness, Prescott's and, uh, even the Tijeros, the Tijeros were here. I mean, we were just down in spring Lake, uh, you know, a few months ago and we saw Pastor, uh, Ed Tijero and, and Diani. And I was like, man, this guy was here when I got here. That's you right. know, he's been, he, he was, he was already in the Newport News Church when I got to Virginia Beach. So, so <laughs> and I think uh, Pastor Prescott was too. And yep. uh, I mean, so uh, you guys also have some incredible examples there of, of faithful. Uh, but again, those people uh, are pastors now. And so, uh, and so I'm, <laughs> I'm really humbled to hear, to hear you call me and my wife an example. I'm like, well, you've got example. Well, actually, they're out pastoring now. <laughs> We're not. So, to, so to hear you call me an example, or, you know, us us a, an example is really, really humbling. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, definitely mean it. Well, I'm well, gonna I'm gonna test your humility one more time. <laughs> oh boy! Because uh, even though you might not be called to be a pastor, you do have a gift of preaching. I just want you to know that. And uh, so you, you uh, I. I I don't feel uncomfortable at all, um, you know, having you cover a service every once in a while. And, uh, and that's okay. You don't have to be called right. to be a pastor to, to be a preacher. Because on some level, everybody's called to preach. We're called to preach to ourselves. Yes. We're called to preach to our families. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I, so I just wanted to tell the people that I, I appreciate you and your family. And I know that the church here in Virginia Beach would not be what it is without your faithfulness and others, of course, many others over the years who have, um, who sure. have, you know, contributed to what we are. And, you know, um, so I believe God's going to really continue to help us. And so, um, Rome, I just want to say thank you again for conducting this interview. We appreciate yes. you so much, man. Yes, thank sir. Thank you very much. Yep. It is a privilege. And, uh, we'll, we'll catch you guys, uh, for, I guess, part two of this, testimony tuesday production crew mm -hmm. absolutely. absolutely yes sir well i'll go ahead and close this in prayer then and uh we'll believe god thank you dave for your amazing testimony i'm so grateful for all that god has done and uh we hope that it's been a blessing to thank all of our listeners yeah thanks for the Bye. opportunity
Father, we come by the blood of Jesus tonight. We're asking you, God, for everyone who has heard this testimony, God, that you would encourage them, that you would give us hope for the future. Lord, for those who are lost and in their sins, I'm praying, God, that from this example and from this testimony, Lord, that you would give us courage to step forward, God, and be bold, courageous with your gospel. And I'm just praying that you'd uh, be with us as we go. Bring us back to this podcast next week to hear another testimony. And God bless everyone who hears this message. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Amen. Amen. Once again, we thank you for those of you who made it all the way to the end of this marathon testimony. Uh, we, we, we appreciate you. We hope that, uh, this is going to be another blessed year of sermons and testimonies that you're going to, you're going to be blessed by it. Please share this with somebody if, uh, if it has encouraged you and, uh, we, we look forward to providing, uh, this podcast going forward. So God bless. We're signing off and we will see you again soon. God bless.